Welcome to Financial Education for the Nation. My name is Warren Shute, and on this very extremely blistering windy day, I'm here with Paul. How are you, Paul? You're back again this week. How are you, say? I am. I'm good, thanks, Warren. How are you doing? You, you're surviving out in the wind? I'm surviving. I'm surviving. We were at Cheltenham Races yesterday, um, and it was very windy, so we spent most of the time undercover. Um, and today, it still is windy, you know, but the sky is blue in... That's the thing for me. Nice blue sky, few clouds up there, nice and windy, great for a dog walk. Actually, I should take the dog out. I've got a lovely cockapoo, Monty. Uh, it'd be nice to take him out for a little stroll later to uh, stretch my legs and get some fresh air. <laughs> okay, well, this week, I think there's, there's really only one, one topic in the news, and, and that's kind of Brexit. But there's also been the spring statement that's come out. And although that, that hasn't Made, us, made a lot of announcements on a personal level. I thought maybe we could take a look at the bigger picture because it can be quite hard to see through the headlines. Wherever you get your news, it's got a prism on it of some kind of, of uh, a left slant, a right slant, a center slant, whatever it might be. So maybe we can just take a little, a little delve beneath them to see what's going on and, and how we're doing. So uh, st- a little step back. You're absolutely right. But a little step back for some of the listeners. So the government announced economic news typically twice a year. We have the budget and we have the spring statement. The spring statement has now been watered down to just be an update of what's going on. Um, and that was actually yesterday. Um, and with all the Brexit voting and the paraphernalia surrounding that, it's very easily sort of washed over and kind of forgotten. Um, and I was with a client actually um, on Monday and they were really, really concerned about Brexit, really they were a new client, really, really worried about it. And I just sort of had the, had the conversation with them that, that, that the nationals, the papers, their aim is to get you to read and to buy the paper, okay? And what gets people to read or stay on the screen is worry. Because if they said, everything's hunky-dory, it's all fine, you're like, okay, great, I can go off and enjoy my life and get on with it. Whereas actually, if they say, actually, you need to 10 things to get fastened down because of Brexit or 10 worries about why Brexit is going to make things terrible, it's going to make you focus and read it. And then you'll start seeing the adverts and they can time your time on the screen or they can see the number of copies of papers they're selling. They can sell advertising space. So I'm very cynical about the whole thing. Um, but what I would say to you is this podcast is going to take the emotion, whether it was right or wrong to go into Brexit. Uh, and we're just going to look at the effects of what's happening um, broadly on the economy. Um, whether you feel Brexit was the right thing to do or not. Does that seem about right? Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Let's, let's take the politics out of it and just focus yeah, on this. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. So the economy as a whole, um, the economy as a whole, the growth in the economy is positive. It's going well. The Office of Bub- um, Fiscal Responsibility published some figures with the uh, spring statement to say that the growth forecasts are looking they're going to be increasing. So we're increasing about 1.5% a year at the moment. Um, and forecasts are continuing to grow. That's good news. We're not in a recession. We're not in a depression. Things aren't contracting. They're growing. Um, and one thing that I read in the uh, spring statement was that manufacturing has had the longest period of expansion for over 50 years. Well, that's great. That's fantastic news. You know, things are going in the right direction. Are we running on full steam? Is it the best it could be? No, probably not. Um, would it be better if we didn't have all the confusion around Brexit? I don't know. I don't know. And the reason I say I don't know is because 
one of the reasons things are going so well is because sterling has weakened. Okay, so when an economy goes well, the, the currency strengthens um, and it makes it expensive from overseas. It's kind of like um, a barometer to keep things all in check. But when the economy doesn't do so well, when there's worry, the currency weakens. That makes things cheaper. So it makes you tourists coming over. I've got my father's family arriving on Friday from America. Um, they'll be buying lots more pounds for their dollar than they would have done two years ago. So it makes it a lot more attractive. But what it also does is makes us as a UK PLC selling things overseas our products become less expensive, so it becomes a lot more attractive for people. So the economy as a whole in the UK is going well. Things are growing. Is it the best it can be? No, but things are going on, you know, things are going okay. Not as bad as probably I think some of the press might make out. <laughs> okay, well, taking care to stay clear of all the politics around, as we've said. So, I mean, the, the manufacturing one's an interesting one there, and uh, where do you see, on an individual level, if we kind of bring it back in a little bit, the, the, the growth which is predicted to carry on, and, and obviously there's, there's some kinks ahead potentially with what is going to happen or isn't going to happen, will it start to impact us on an individual level? As the economy grows, what, what's going what's gonna to happen? Well, it's interesting because as the economy grows, generally speaking, if growth um, go, becomes too fast, we will see inflation pick up. But the nice thing is these growth rates aren't too great. They're not significant. So growth rates are around about 1.5%. Um, give you some kind of comparison. That doesn't really mean much. The US is running at just over 2%. So the US is growing. It's a much bigger economy. It's growing at a faster rate. Um, but the UK is around about 1.5% typically thinks when the economy grows at a fast rate, you might see inflation pick up and therefore you might see inflation, uh, sorry, interest rates pick up to soften or curb inflation. Um, but another thing um, that the OBR said was that it's unlikely we will see inflation pick up. So what that kind of means is they kind of feel, the way I read it at least, I'm not an economist, the way I read it is they feel that this is a healthy level of growth uh, for the economy and how things are going. Okay. And okay. if, if if, if we don't get a deal, as it were, if it, that seems to be the way things might be going at the moment. My biggest concern almost is like um, the social impact of the whole Brexit thing, rather than the, uh, the, the financial, if I'm honest, how things will be if we have another referendum, that kind of thing, socially around, you know, uh, with people. But the way things are going at the moment is if we go without a deal, if we leave the European Union without a deal, then there might be some short-term impact. But... Virtually every, I say every company I've spoken to has stockpiled. They've bought in all the stock that they need to carry them through to allow time to come into place that these trade agreements can be put into place. It, the key is, I guess, how long that's going to have. But I think a lot of these figures, a lot of this has been in, uh, factored in to these forecasts, and the forecasts are seem to be fairly good. You know, things seem to be okay. You know. Okay. And it's interesting there, just touching on interest rates, they've, they've been very, very low for a very long time now, as, as we all know, of course. And while that might not be great news for the savers that are, that are out there, it is a good time, if you're able to, to be trying your hardest to get rid of your debt while those rates are low. Absolutely. And, and I, I say this every single time, you know, as a priority, let's pay the debt down. 
and you're going to get a much bigger bang for your buck while interest rates are lower um, than when interest rates rise. So if you can take every spare amount of money and pay the interest rates down, we look at that magical first hour of working day, 12.5%, trying to get at least that amount of money. And then we talk about other ways of generating income within the household through side hustles, selling things on eBay, Facebook, my face, that kind of thing, and getting passionate and excited by it and putting the money on your debt, particularly unsecured debt by you know, credit cards, loans, that kind of thing, and then moving on to longer term, typically secured debt. Um, but you know, use, use the spreadsheets on the, on the site, on the warrantshoot.com, there's the snowball spreadsheet and there's the debt organizer spreadsheet. Use these to really get yourself passionate about paying the debt down because while interest rates are low now's the time to have the biggest effect um in let, talking about debt you know, uk plc the amount of money we borrow has is down three quarters since 2010 okay so the debt is down three quarters since 2010 at the moment we're borrowing one pound for every four pound we spend i'm sorry what now we're paying one pound we're borrowing one pound for every 18 pound we're spending um, where we were borrowing one pound for every four pound we spent. Okay, so yeah, as a financial planner, it it, it kind of you know it, it's it's wrong. It, it, I'll be stuttering here by saying it. It's hard borrowing to cover your bills. It's ridiculous. If you're an individual, you had to borrow money to cover your household bills. You know, any financial planner in the right mind would be screaming at you. Yet, yeah, virtually every country around the world does it, um, and that's how. You know, debt sort of rises, but the amount of money we are borrowing is down, which is good news. We're bringing our debt down. Our debt is around about 85% of our income, GDP. So if, if you look at it as an individual, again, that would be quite interesting sort of comparison, wouldn't it? Somebody going £100,000 a year, which is obviously a very lot of money, having £85,000 borrowing in total, which actually isn't that much money. So obviously individuals are much higher geared, but we borrow about 85% of our, uh, our income. Um, around the world, globally, that's actually not too bad. You've got Japan at about 250%. Okay, so they borrow about 250%. The US is around about 105%. Um, Canada sits around, Canada's like, you know, everyone says how strong the economy is. So that sits around about 90%. So the European Union is slightly lower than us. Okay, because there are other countries that bring that percentage down. But the UK sits about 85% and forecast rates bring it down to about 78% um, of GDP. So, you know, again, things seem to go in the right direction. Um, that works out to be about £85,000 of borrowing per household in the UK. So um, that's how much borrowing we've got outstanding. But the reason it's important for us to bring this borrowing down now, while we can, is because while interest rates are low, even the government gets a bigger bang for the buck when they're paying debt down because they have finance payments on their own guilt, on the government guilt they've got to pay out. So our interest rates are low, they pay out less. Obviously, they can therefore use more money to bring their borrowing down. So it's, it's the same thing. Whether it's a country, a company, or an individual, what we really want to try and do is maximum cash inflows, bring as much cash inflows as we can, keep our cash outflows down, and pay down our debt to reduce our debt because that makes us stronger. Taking our money, um, paying down liabilities, and buying assets, things that are going to appreciate. Yeah, okay. Um, and if, if the growth weren't to continue and, and things did change a little bit from a, from a country and economic perspective, 
Are there things we can do as individuals to try and mitigate that a little bit? Obviously, you've just said, let's try and keep our cash outflows down, of course, naturally. But how aware should we be keeping of this stuff? We've touched on the media and, and their job is to, is to sell papers and to, to get clicks on their website, of course. But how much should we be paying attention to this stuff as, as individuals? Well, I, I have a bit of a, a, a motto that the only, only thing you should really pay attention to are things that you can control, okay? We can't really control the economy, but what we can do is we can control our own personal economy, money coming in, money going out. And I think what's always important is making sure that your own personal economy is as strong of a position as you can, so that when we go through the tough times, you weather them better. And let's face it, we've had... 10 years, 12 years since 2007, um, of very, very good economic growth. Um, the stock market's done very well. There was a period in there of austerity where things got tight for a lot of people. But generally speaking, house prices have appreciated overall. There are some areas I do appreciate are still really struggling uh, with that. But generally speaking, asset prices have increased. And what we really should be doing during these periods, if we're able to, because I appreciate not everyone was in the same position, if we're able to, we take our money and we pay down our debts, we build up our cash flows, we start cash inflows, we start paying down our um, borrowings in every way, start putting money into our retirement accounts so that when the economy does soften, when do, things do change, when we go from spring to summer into winter, you know, we weather those storms better. Um, and it's, it's a tricky scenario at the moment because we do seem to be on the crust of things at the moment. You know, although I've said you know, things are growing, they're doing well, everything's okay. Economically, things do seem to be in a change period. I don't know whether it's in the UK, we're very much focusing just on Brexit and everything that's happening, and that opens a new avenue for us, um, or whether it's my mental thoughts of saying, well, actually, we've gone through 10, 12 years of um, economic growth in, in stock market growth, should I really say. Um, where are things happening at the moment? Where are things heading, sorry, uh, at the moment? But I'm, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic. I'm fairly confident. Um, on the outlook of things, but I am also very conscious that we're going into uncharted territory. We don't know what's going to happen. So use this period of time to pay down your debt, build up your cash reserves, um, and sharpen the saw. Keep learning as individuals. Take on new skills. Now, that might be you become more proficient at your own occupation, so you can go up the ranks, or it might be that actually you keep doing your day job, but you learn other skills, so you learn other side hustles. You learn how to sell things on eBay. You learn how to sell things on Facebook Marketplace or you learn other skills that you can do in the evening or weekend. So you've got other revenues of income coming in um, so that you secure your retirement because you need a lot of money for your retirement, guys. And it's these different things that are going to help contribute towards a good retirement. Paying down your borrowings, you go in there secure with no debt and you have a, a nice fully funded retirement account. Okay, and I know that, that for the savers that, that are looking at their money, and, and you've said the stock markets have gone up, gone up really well over the last decade, and some might be thinking, well, we've got a bit of uncertainty coming up. I know one of your, your favorite phrases is, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. And just briefly, I just want just to cover what you mean by that. What is timing the market? Okay, so there's, um, there's two main methods of investing. I'm sure there's dozens. But if we keep things very simple, there's two ways to invest money. One way is an active portfolio management where a fund manager or an individual, it could be yourself, 
buys and sells underlying shares based on the information that they've got available to them. That information might be news off the Bloomberg Reuters um, terminal, or it might be fundamental news about the company's profits and sales. They're actively buying and selling shares, thinking that they can outsmart the market. On the flip side, the other way of investing would be a passive investor or a long-term buy and hold investor, where they get a globally diversified portfolio of shares. They buy all the shares in that portfolio and they just sit tight. So typically, if you're a relatively small investor or what we would term as a retail investor, um, you would buy into funds, index funds. You would buy those funds and you would just sit tight and allow the market to give you the return that you, quote, deserve or the risk that you're taking. Um, the trader, the person who buys and sells shares, might get lucky and might do well occasionally but there has been so much academic research to back up that unfortunately over time, the cost of trading, taxation, trading costs, that kind of thing, negates any gain or uplift that they can make. Um, and there are so many computers nowadays automating trading strategies so rapidly and doing such complex things. It's very, very, very hard. I'd probably go to say nigh on impossible for the Joe Bloggs individual trader to outsmart the market regularly. I put regularly on there because there's always occasions where you can do something and you can get an upside. It's whether you can consistently do that. So what I always suggest to people is a globally diversified portfolio, buy and hold. It's the time in the market, the time that you're holding those shares, not trying to time the market by buying and selling consistently over time. Um, Warren, I give you a, I've mentioned this company, but Warren Buffett, one of the richest investors in the world, um, he's created his wealth through um, investing, uh, placed a bet in 2007 to anybody available if they felt that they could beat the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 is a stock market in America. It's an index, um, should I say, in America, just like the FTSE 100. Um, and out of that bet, put a million pounds up, only one person came forward. I think his name was Jeff Sides, um, who said, okay, I can't pick one fund that will beat the S&P 500, but would you allow me to build, build a, a, a selection of funds that might? Well, Warren was so confident in, in stock market's ability to outperform. He said, yeah, go ahead, fine, just do that. Um, and to be fair, the active fund managers got a head start. They did do well initially for the first year or two, I think. They actually did quite well. Um, but Warren didn't lose faith. He just stuck with the S&P 500, put the money in there and forgot about it. Um, that was due to come to a fruition, I think, in 2018, 2017. They closed it about two or three years early because the S&P 500 investment was so far ahead. So far ahead, even Jeff himself said it would be impossible for these other funds to um, make good. So if your financial advisor is putting you in active funds, whether you're with a national firm who's doing it or whether you're with a, just a, doing it yourself, you've got to ask yourself a question. If you're that good at picking funds, why didn't you place the bet against Warren Buffett back in 2007 and go up against this million pounds? You could have done tremendously well. And why didn't the fund manager you're investing in go against him as well? You know, guys, don't do it. Set and forget. Go into a globally diversified portfolio. Go and check out Lexo. Lexo.co.uk is an online investment site that I put together myself. I'm not saying go and use it. Go and check it out. See if it's for you. 
Um, but just buy passive funds, set and forget. Get your risk profile right first. Get your risk appetite, the, the amount of exposure to stock market you feel comfortable with. That's the most important thing. And then go and enjoy life. If you need to earn more money, go and think of creative ways of earning more money. You're more likely to do that and earn money that way than you are um, by trading the stock market. Okay, so I mean, just bringing that back to, to um, kind of the economy and, and uncertainty, we shouldn't then, with that timing the market versus time in the market, we shouldn't then be thinking, hmm, maybe the markets are going to have a bit of a hiccup. So I think I might hold off and wait a little bit before I, I have my money here that I'm ready to invest. Uh, generally speaking, if you're going to need access to the money in the next five to seven years, um, people generally say five, I like to say nearest seven, five to seven years, then um, if you're going to need access to that money, you're going to crystallize it and have it all back out as cash, then I would avoid the stock market as a whole. I would just wouldn't go into it. Um, you really should be looking at the stock market as a long-term investment where you're going to sit in that investment for more than seven years into the future. Um, if that is the case um, where you are going to invest in the market and you're going to be sat in the stock market for more than seven years, if you would become concerned with your portfolio falling in value, perhaps you can then consider dripping or phasing the investment in over time. Okay, it's not something I really advocate or encourage people to do, but I do respect some people would become nervous. You're going to put a chunk of money into the market. You've got a let's say I keep using 100,000 as a round figure. It could be a lot less. But you've got 100,000 pound here. You're going to put it into the market. If it went down to 80,000 pound, if you are really then going to start feeling uncomfortable, then life's too short. Don't do that. Phase it in. Maybe put 10,000 pounds in a month for a period of time, or every six months, put a chunk of money in. The phasing doesn't necessarily have a, a fixed form. It just means you drip the money in on a regular basis. Not by timing it, not by saying the market's low, but you put a fixed amount of money in over a period of time. And that just smooths out a little bit of the short-term volatility. Um, the fact that the market returns more than on deposit over time means that really you're better off just putting the money in the market and allow it to do its thing. Um, but I do appreciate emotions get involved with people. So... If you need access money, in summary, if you need access money within five years, don't bother. Get a, a portfolio of high interest deposit accounts, national savings, premium bonds, that kind of thing, and leave it in there. If you can leave the money in the market for five to seven years, then pop it into a portfolio of index funds, which are commensurate to your risk. And really, you know, by going on to uh, Lexo, you'll get a lot more information on there about the level of risk that you should take. Typically speaking, a 100% stock market portfolio will fall 50% in its lifetime. So if that's too much, you need to dilute it. 25% fall for a 50% portfolio. So just dilute the risk down with fixed interest. Okay. Yeah. All right, great. Well, if it's if it's good enough for you and it's good enough for Warren Buffett, then yeah, all the Warrens are in agreement. I think that's, uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like that. I like to be associated with that. That's very good. He's a very good investor. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. I think that wraps everything up. That's great. Good to meet you. Take care. Thanks, Laura.